Good morning. morning. This morning I'd like to share with you from the Word of God, what would be more of a a gospel-centered message. I find myself teaching a lot, and uh, my heart and my mind has turned more towards the gospel recently, Um, but what I'd like to do is share this morning um, uh, a message that I've shared with other assemblies and other places And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three men this morning that were uh, wealthy men. Three wealthy men this morning. And we're going to see how their response to their wealth in the Lord Jesus Christ provides for us some very interesting pictures to what kind of response we might have to a God who calls. So we're going to look at three examples, three stories from the New Testament about how people responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. Three wealthy men. And um, you might sort of kind of think of this as, if you want a title for this message, uh, three ways to respond to the God who calls. Three ways to respond to the God who calls. Let's just um, bow our heads one more time and ask that the Lord blesses our time in his word. Father, we ask this morning that you would just help us to understand the things that you want us to understand. And... um, Lord, that you would use some verse, some statement, Lord, for your, your sovereign will, Lord. Only you can open hearts, only you can change lives. And so we just ask that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Psalms chapter 19 with me. Three ways to respond to a God who calls. There are a lot of verses that you could go to in the scriptures to remind us that God is there and God calls and God gets our attention. Here's just one of them. There are a number of them, but here is just one of them. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day into day it utters speech and night into night reveals knowledge. Look at this beautiful phrase. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Isn't that interesting? The the cosmos, the creation, is saying something in every language. No matter how simple you might be or how intellectual you might be, either way you go, you can find out more and more about our universe. And unless you've been educated out of this, causes you to think about Who might be responsible for this? Where did everything come from? Why is it the way it is? Where is the order? Where is the organization coming from? And it points your attention in a limited fashion to the existence of a creator, a mind, a source behind all these things. But I just like that that, that phraseology. Their voice, their language goes out into all the world. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their world's to the end, their words to the end of the world. They're speaking to us. Think about where all this is from. Do you ever stop, by the way, to just, just think? Just think about the universe? I think I've said this before, but I was impacted, as all of you have been impacted by something you've watched online. Um, we live in a different culture simply by virtue of the existence of the internet. I remember watching a video 
that was a digitized version of a movie made by IBM back in the 70s called Powers of Ten. And all the video did was simply to show how far out in the universe you would go as each, um, they basically backed out by powers of 10, you know, 10 meters to the power of one and to the power of two, and they went all the way out. And it gave me, the, for, for the first time, a little bit of a, an understanding of the vastness of the universe. And I just was kind of shocked into realizing that my concept of God was very insufficient. Now, it was informed by the truths of scripture, but just the truth of the size of the universe profoundly changed what I thought about God. And that's what the psalmist is writing about. There's some uh, message or word that's going out to us. God calls, God's there. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. God is calling to us in a variety of ways. He calls to us through creation. He calls to us through conscience. Just pulling some of these off the top of memory here. Probably all of you know where I might go here in Romans chapter 1. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible, attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Did you ever think about that? I'm, I'm interrupting the reading of the verses. I probably shouldn't do that. But you ought to stop and think sometime what, what a lack of thankfulness can do in your life. It can begin to, like, a crack in your foundation just erode your worldview and your thoughts about God, and that will begin to impact other things. They weren't thankful, and, and you sort of started pulling on this string and watch what happens. They weren't thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and down, down, down we go. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the desires of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. The point that Paul brings up here is that, among other verses, that there's a conscience. He begins to get to that issue. God calls us through our conscience. God calls us through creation. God calls to us through the gospel, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And God calls to us through a, a number of ways. I mean, I've even heard people who didn't really consider themselves to be believers in the existence of God, run into the supernatural realm. Uh, they were in the presence of somebody who was manifesting some type of a demonic experience, and it shocked them, and they began to think about the existence of a whole different realm. And God calls to us through a number of different things. And the question this morning is, how have you and how have I responded to the call of God? And obviously in our life, we don't just respond once, but we respond again and again. Let's look this morning at three different people who responded to the call of God in three different ways. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. 
Luke chapter 12. And as I said, all of them were wealthy men. Why does that have any bearing? Well, because the Bible seems to indicate very clearly that what we do with wealth is actually a litmus test for our hearts. This is why the Lord Jesus speaks a lot about finances and money. Not because they in of themselves are important, but because they show you what's going on inside you. Right? People have said, let me see what you do with your time, let me see what you do with your checkbook, and I, things like that, I can tell a lot about you. Luke chapter 12. You know all of these stories. This is the story of the rich fool. It's a parable the Lord Jesus tells. Luke chapter 12. And the Lord Jesus is teaching, and we will, um, we will pick up in verse 13. He's teaching, and then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? He wouldn't get involved in his request. And he said to them, in response to something that that man said, he's going to say the following. He said to them, Look out, take heed, and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, I don't know what happens when you read the Bible, but when I read that passage, what goes on in my head is that the Lord Jesus has detected something in this man's request, and it has to do with covetousness, and he takes that out and uses it as a warning to the crowd. If maybe I've read that in, maybe you could say, well, that's not there at all. But that's what happens in my mind when I see that. There's something about what that man said that made the Lord Jesus then turn and say, we need to talk about covetousness. And then he tells them a parable. He spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? I don't even have a room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry, have a good time. He speaks, and then God speaks to him. Just the, the juxtaposition of these two is very interesting. He's talking to himself, and God just speaks at him from heaven. But God said to him, you fool. You could put all kinds of words in there today, but you fool. You don't even get it. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? He says no more. That's it. I mean, what a, what a thing for God to say to you. Period. This is it. And then the Lord Jesus says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself, and the sentence doesn't end there. That's not the main focus. And is not rich toward God. So is he. This is what it's like for a person who lays up treasure for themselves and then doesn't take from that treasure and, 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 and be rich towards God with it. And so what's the focus of this passage? Primarily, it's not primarily the gospel. We need, to, we need to make sure we're dealing carefully with the word of God in the context. What's the, what's the focus? It's covetousness, right? And what we do with what we've got. But what the Lord says to this man does bring in something that happens to a lot of us. Look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, 
Therefore, I say to you, and you know that that word therefore helps to connect these two passages. Because of this, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. He didn't say clothing and food don't matter. Did he say that? No, he said life is more than that. Look at the ravens. They neither reap or sow which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them, of how much more value are you than the birds? Which of you, by worrying, this might be another theme in this passage, anxiety and worrying. Anybody here worry about your future, your financial future? Just nod your head. Just, just nod with me. We all nod together. Right? Anxiety. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? And I think the idea here is actually even add a, a measure of, of span to one's life. Because right? we wouldn't worry about, ah, can I get, get, get taller, God? I, I mean, some of you might worry about that. I could. I don't, we don't have the height genes in our family. Uh, but I think the idea is, is you, by worrying, you just can't add anything else to your life. If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? You can't even do the little stuff. You don't have control over the little things. Let's look at this. This man, our, the, the first of our three rich men. The warning here is not to avoid wealth, interestingly. It's to avoid covetousness. I think I said it the last time I spoke here. I believe there is a place for people who God gives the ability to earn wealth, provided they take that as a tool and use it for God. What did the passage say? This kind of a situation, this sad situation, this man, is what happens to a person who gets wealth, who gets riches, it doesn't stop the sinister, and he doesn't use it for God. And so we want to make sure that we, we don't take this passage and say, wealth or money is bad. The scripture doesn't teach that. It's a gift from God. It needs to be used like any other tool. But this morning, we're just kind of looking at this man. And I'm going to suggest to you that anxiety about our financial future, about our career even, our achievements, can drive us to practical atheism. By practical atheism, I don't mean um, uh, sort of an actual atheistic belief, but a practical acting like this, where we're just so driven by our career or so driven by our finances, and this is the part, this is the place of the country to be like that. My wife said that when she moved to, um, to Florida, Tampa is not a small city, but it's, you know, it's a middle-sized city. She just, she was just like, the, the pace of life here is so much slower. Now, I didn't notice that. I'd lived in Tampa. I grew, up there. I grew up there. But if you want to get caught up in the frenzy of career and finance and, and future and wealth and just go, 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 this is the place to do it. You are in the right place. There are certain counties and areas of, 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 of the country where you just, the, the, the race is palpable. And if you're not careful... You could totally miss God, totally ignore God, and, and, and sort of buy into the lie that the essence of life is in the possessions that we have. And that's what happened to this man. And that might have been what the danger of was the man who sort of interrupted Jesus and says, I need you to get involved in the dispute I have with my brother. By the way, a little bit of background information. Um, 
the, the likelihood with the, the man who cried out and interrupted Jesus was possibly that he was a younger brother and his older brother, who in that culture would have sort of had uh, the right to decide what, to, what, what, what happened with the inheritance, uh, wasn't dividing the inheritance. The, the, the possibility, and I get this from an, an interesting book you might want to look up, it's Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Bailey. He has all kinds of background information about some of the stories in the gospel. Take a look at it if, if you want to. Uh, he, he suggests that um, what probably happened here was, was a father had died, and here you had two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. And the younger brother is the one who wants Jesus to get involved because his older brother won't divide the inheritance. And Jesus won't get involved and these social disputes. And he detects that covetousness is at the bottom of this. And deeper than that might be the lie that life is really about getting those things. Where's our heart? Where is your heart this morning? I, I don't want you to make the mistake of, of, of reading from this that our jobs and our careers and our education don't matter. You won't find that in Scripture. The Bible will tell you that you have a responsibility as a parent, for example, to provide for your children. But Paul talks about the Thessalonians and others. They need to learn to work, he says. He says, when I came and ministered and preached the gospel, Paul did this in certain areas. He says, I didn't take from you. I actually worked so that you men could see what it's like to work a hard day's work. We provided for our own team, Paul says, because some people in some cultures need to learn what it's like to work and work hard. That's also part of the biblical worldview. Vocation and calling and work and using all of those things to the glory of God. But there's a line that you can cross where what happens is, is that God, who is to be seen as the end of all things, the one who gives good gifts and the father of lights from whom everything comes, and our, our, our jobs and our education and our wealth, and even things like the enjoyment of food and music and all these gifts that come into the human mind are supposed to be means that drive us to God as the end of all things, that drive us to worship him, the good God who is the source of everything. We can get those switched where God becomes a means by which we try to get all of these different things. Did you see that? Do you get that switched in your life? I mean, how do you eat to the glory of God? Right? And sometimes I might take something I might eat and might say, this is just amazing that God has created me to actually have some form of enjoyment and to like this. Obviously, there's ways that I can dishonor God and not give God glory by what I do with food and with my body, and this is the country to do that in. <laughs> I mean, there's that side of it. But even simple things like I was created to enjoy different things. What does that tell me about God? And, and even something like eating food can draw my mind to the end of all things. Who is God? All things are from him and through him and to him. All things are for him, right? Anything in life should be able to draw my thought and attention back to God. But if you get those switched, all of a sudden, God becomes your agenda or God becomes your means to whatever end you have. And that's the ultimate mistake of life. And that's what this man had done. Now, let's just look a little bit at, at what, what's, what, what kind of a mistake he made, and then we'll move on. I'll give you three mistakes, and I've probably already kind of gotten into it. 
Um, I just want to ask you this morning, are, are you basing your life decisions off of ultimate reality? Work, education, providing is part of reality. It's part of a biblical worldview. But that's not all of it. Ultimate reality is the God who is there and the God who calls to us. The God who calls us to have all things sort of, uh, I'm, I'm lacking a word, but to take all things in life and sort of put them against the God who is the background, to measure all things by him. Does your behavior exhibit the fact that in your life and heart you don't think about God practically? Is it that when you're here, you worship, and there's the Lord's Supper and the, the messages, but when you go home and you go into your career and your education, you sort of step into a different version of you. You have the public self and the private self or whatever it is. Beware of practical atheism. And there are things that can drive you to that place without you realizing it. Here's one mistake is that God allowed this man to gain wealth and he wasn't going to share any of it. You notice he doesn't talk anything. He doesn't talk about any of his employees, his servants. He doesn't talk about the Lord. The passage doesn't say that he got it dishonestly, although I've been told that in the biblical world, because they didn't have a capitalistic society, it was much harder to gain wealth and build wealth. And so oftentimes wealth in a biblical context was gotten by wrong means. When you read James, James talks about the wealthy in very negative terms. It's gotten through corruption oftentimes. You read through the Old Testament, oftentimes the wealthy get wealth by taking it from others, buying land and people are slaves to them. Uh, but it doesn't say here that he got his, his wealth through an ill-gotten means. But it doesn't say anything about it. He's not going to be generous to anybody. It's just His whole life is just a big pit for all of this. And I wonder about some people sometimes. I look at them and I'm like, you have the power to do things for God with the gifts he's given you, and your life is just a consumption pit. Just kind of everything goes in and nothing comes out. Is my life like that? Or does God allow things to come into my life and then I take and I use for him? Somebody said this morning in their prayer, I think, of, of whom much is given, much is required. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9 says this, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I like that. Two, mistake number two, he assumed that he had many years left in life. He made 100% provision for his life and no provision for the next life. Lay up treasures in heaven, the Lord Jesus says. He's like, you have another bank account, you need to put some money in, right? You're only putting, bank, you're only putting money in your, your, sort of your material bank account. He's like, your investment for the future is not looking good. Put something in it. Store up treasures in heaven. The Lord Jesus talks about money bags that don't corrupt and don't take up, you know, get, get those kind of money bags, the Lord says to his disciples. Psalm 14, one, obviously, you know, the verse, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
I looked at your life, would, would your life be like that? There's just, there's no, God doesn't figure into any of this. Mistake three, he assumed that life consisted in eating and drinking and relaxation. Maybe he was reading Ecclesiastes 7.9 and took it too far. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about life under the sun and, and, and says, look, you're not going to find fulfillment by, by building castles here on this earth, and so just enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy your relationships. Enjoy your food. And maybe he might have taken that to, you know, a wrong application of Scripture. You interpret Scripture wrongly, you'll apply it wrongly. Is there anybody like that or anybody listening to this message who's like that? God has given you the ability to do something. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's athletics. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's business. Maybe it's something, and it has become everything to you, and you have forgotten the God who is there. What was to be a means to drive your attention to God has now become the end and of itself, and you are using God like a means, and if God won't get you what you want, well, he needs to get out of the way so you can get on with your life. And God speaks from heaven to those people and says, you're a fool. Because I can pull the plug any day of the week, and then what are you going to do? Life doesn't consist solely in the things that we have. Don't flip it over and make the other mistake that the things that we have are nothing. And, and that's not what the Bible teaches. There's something. Have them in relation to God. Don't have them in relation to nothing. That's meaningless. That's foolishness. Matter of fact, and then I'll, we'll move on. Bringing God into our possessions is what allows us to enjoy them rightly and to live a balanced life. Everything linking us and drawing our attention back to the Lord. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 18. Let's look at another wealthy man. This was a foolish man. Luke chapter 18. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Verse 18. Luke 18, 18. He's speaking about a number of things in relationship to the kingdom, even to trusting in the Lord, entering the kingdom like a child, being humble, not being like the Pharisee who thought himself so righteous. And then he says this in verse 18, Luke writes, And now a certain ruler, the other gospels remind us that he's a young ruler, and then he runs up to Jesus. That's interesting. He runs up. He asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the rich young ruler says to himself, it's a marginal note. Yes, I've got this. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all these I've kept from my youth. Yeah, I, I've done all that. Yes, okay, what's next? So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, just, just one thing. You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and, and, and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that, 
he became very sorrowful. And he said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Amen. Write that last verse on your wall somewhere. (laughs) This is another rich man. He's a rich young ruler. Maybe he was a synagogue ruler. He was young. You ever seen anybody like that? They're young. They're successful. They're highly intelligent. They're wealthy. It's interesting. We want to be like these people. We want to be like the, the rich fool, right? He just has so much money, he doesn't know where to put it. He invested in Google and Home Depot when they were little companies. And now he's just, his stocks are just exploding. We want, to be, we want to be like these people. They're all around us. They're young, they're successful, or whatever it is. The Lord Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? And there are different ways that, that people have interpreted the Lord's saying. Um, again, looking into a little background information, I'm, I, I've, I've, been, I've been told here that there's no example in the Talmud of a rabbi being addressed as good. I have not read all of the Talmud. I've not read a little bit of the Talmud. So, just snippets. Um, You can call me on that one. And so this might have sort of jumped out in a culture of Second Temple Judaism, the the, the culture of that day. Uh, And the Lord Jesus says there's only one good, and that's God. So, one of the things that the Lord could have been doing is to basically do this. If you're going to call me good, and there's only one good who is God, then you have to recognize that you're not good, because there's only one that's good, before we even go down this road that you're about to take me down. Because you want me to tell you that you're good enough for the kingdom, right? That's where we're going, right? The Lord, you know how the Lord is. He just goes right to the issue. He doesn't, he doesn't waste your time with, you know, politeness and the woman at the well. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. He's like, let's get down to it. <laughs> go call your husband, right? Nicodemus. Lord, we think you're a teacher. Come from God. Nobody, you must be born again. Let's just get down to the business and, and talk about it. There is only one good. Why are you calling me good? If I'm the one that's good, then you're not the one that's good. Or he could be saying, as we've often heard it preached, that there's one good, and that's God, and I will accept that title. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, and I'm not that one. There's one good, but God. What does a young man ask him in verse number 20? Excuse me, verse number 18. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Is there anybody that wants to inherit eternal life? Anybody here want eternal life? Just say yes. You want eternal life, right? You want eternal life. You don't want to miss out on God's eternal life. This is what you were created for. What is eternal life? John 17, 3. I think it's my favorite verse in the Bible. This is eternal life. What is the quality of life that makes it eternal? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is, what is God's divine life consistent? Fellowship with the triune God who is there. You were created to know God and to live in a relationship with him. That's what real life is about. All of the things interweaved in a relationship with God. Without that, Life loses its ultimate meaning. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's the religious question. That is the question of religion. People are ready to work. People are ready to do to inherit eternal life. 
They're serious. You can't look at this young man and say he wasn't serious. There are synagogues and temples and churches full of zealous religious people who want eternal life. Paul said of the Jews, they have a zeal for God. They are zealous. They're not, they're not faking it. But it's not according to knowledge. It is possible to be zealous for God, to have a passion for God, and to be wrong. This can happen. And when you speak to your neighbors, don't think about them and treat them like they're just goofing off and kidding because they disagree with you religiously. The Bible doesn't teach that. This man is serious. He runs to Jesus. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? The Lord Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. If you could keep all the commandments, that's life. What does the Lord say in the, to, to Israel? Keep the commandments and live so I can bless you. Now, it's not possible when you're a sinner, broken in sin, to keep all of God's commandments. So the, the law of God drives us to our need for salvation and our need for forgiveness. All right? It was a schoolmaster, a pedagogue, to, 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 to work with God's people and drive them to their need for a Savior until Christ came. The Lord Jesus lists off half of the commandments. The Ten Commandments or the Ten Words are divided, some say, into social commandments, love your neighbor, and commandments that deal with God, vertical, loving the Lord our God. That's why all the law and the prophets hang on these two summative words, right? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength, all your soul, everything you've got, love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. You just love people like you love yourself. You'll do them a world of good. <laughs> this is it. That's what captures the law. And so look, look, at what, look at what commandments he lists off. Are they, are they sort of vertical, dealing with God, or are they horizontal? You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Does that have, I mean, all these things deal with God. I mean, we know that. But, you know, immediately that deals with what? Your, your, your neighbor, right? Your neighbor's wife. Uh, do not murder. Right? That, that deals with other humans around you. Do not steal. That deals, I think, primarily with others around you, although the prophet said you're stealing from God. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Although that last one is interesting, where that one should go in the list of the commandments. Does it, does it cap off the commandments that deal with God? Uh, but he says, I, I've, I've done all these things from my youth. And then he brings in one thing that might bring up the issue of idolatry, a commandment that deals with God. You should have no other gods before me. Now, the Lord doesn't say that, but he says, you, have, you just lack one thing. You've got something else that's far more important to you than I am, than God is, and maybe you don't realize it. And I'm about to let you know. And one of the things that God does in our lives is wakes us up to things that are going on in our hearts that we're not aware of, and they're hard for us to face. And sometimes... They're too scary for us to face, or our hearts are rebellious against what God is telling us, and we don't want to face them, and so we just run. Don't do that. If you come to God's word, God will reveal things to you about yourself that you will not like. Don't fight him. Submit yourself to what God reveals about you. He knows your heart. 
better than you do. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful, wicked. You don't even know it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he's like, I can look at my own life and I realize I can't think of anything about my own life where I might have dropped the ball and messed things up. I don't have anything sort of against myself. But he said, that doesn't justify me. The Lord knows my heart. He can come along and list off all these things that are really going to tell me if my ministry was any good or not. He says, so what's the point of trying to judge each other and say, who's a good preacher? Who's a good missionary? Who's a good elder? He's like, we don't even know all the information. It just... It's a waste of time. It's like, I don't even know enough about myself to decide whether I've done good ministry as an apostle or not because I can't even tell my own heart. So just treat me like a servant or a steward, and all that matters with servants or stewards, this is 1 Corinthians 4, is whether they're faithful to their masters. And you're not my master, right? God will tell you things about your heart. Go distribute all that you have to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And follow me. Isn't that exciting? Come follow me. The Lord says to you, come on, come follow me. But you, you, can't, you can't follow me and like run your whole agenda too. You remember when the people came up to the Lord and they say, I want to follow you. And he's like, you can't. You don't actually really want that. They're like, because they say, well, first, I actually need to go fulfill my cultural duties to my family. He's like, well, you don't want to follow me like, like you think you do. You ever been in the presence of somebody who was sold out for God, and you, there's something in you, you just wanted to be around them? Like, I want to I do that. I think that's one of the powers that, you know, even cultish, charismatic leaders have over people. They're just so unique in certain ways, and people are like, I want to go camp out at this person's doorstep and live that life. This, there are people that saw Jesus and they were drawn to him because they, obviously they saw truth and they saw a, a, a righteousness and one who was given out fully for God, who cared more about God's will than his own lunch and dinner. And they ran to him and they're like, I want to follow you. And he said, you don't realize what you're saying. You don't know your own heart, and there's a lot of things that you wish that you could do and follow me at the same time, and it's not going to work. I'm sorry, you can't be my disciple. And so the Lord Jesus Christ forces us to really think about where our priorities lie. And so um, this is what happens with this young man. Sure, sell it all. Let's go. You'll have treasures in heaven. What is it in your life that the Lord might tell you I'm not telling you this morning, <laughs> and don't take what I'm saying as, I mean, really let the Lord speak to you, but what, is, what could it be in your life that the Lord would put his finger on and saying, you, you can't really follow me like you want to because you love this more than me? And for him, it was money. He had a lot of it. He was wealthy, and he enjoyed it. And he went away sad. And the Lord Jesus says, it's hard. This is impossible. It's impossible for these guys to come and follow me. They can't do it. They cannot part with their wealth. You can't part with whatever it is that you can't part with. And the disciples are like, wait a minute. In our culture, people who are wealthier, the people that are blessed by God, if those people can't be saved, then forget about it. And the Lord says, I can do impossible things. I can handle, maybe by the implication, I don't, I don't want to 
interpret this wrongly, but maybe even I can handle rich young rulers. We don't know if they ever met again. But I, I just want to recognize this man's religious zeal. There are people that want to know about God. You might want to know about the Lord, and you're doing all kinds of things, but there's something holding you back from really following the Lord. There's something that's your true God. If the Lord says to you, follow me, and you say, but this, that may be an indicator that that really trumps the authority of the Lord. Now be careful when you think through your life and you counsel about certain things when you think about these different things. Mark chapter 10, verse 21 says that, the, that, that Jesus loved him. He looked on him and loved him. I think you should meditate on those things. The Lord offering him an opportunity, telling him what he needed to deal with, and loving him, and he walking away from the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So I think I have interpretive license to sort of see God loving this young man, walking away from him. It might be possible that God is looking at you, loving you, saying, this is, wh- this is where it's at, come follow me, and you walk away, and he's, he's loving you, and, you know, as people say, as the people turn away from God who is the light, the light shines on their back. <laughs> they walk away. And Jesus looked on him with sadness. I, I was struck, and we'll obviously, maybe we'll leave the, uh, the last one for tonight. I was struck recently by the, by the thought of the possibility that I could impact the emotions of God. Now, this might bring up a theological issue of God's impassibility, that God can't be impacted by our emotions. But there are things that I read in Scripture that indicate God reacts emotionally to what people do. And Christ, who is God incarnate, looks on this man with sadness. You ever think about that? Is it possible that in my own life, I mean, I believe I'm created in the image of God, and there's a, there's, a, there's a vast body of literature about what it means, what the image of God, the Imago Dei, means. Um, and, and it's sort of a functional view. Does it mean rulership? Does it mean the way we're created and our rational moral capacities? But it's not inconceivable, but, but that, that part of that has to do with the fact that we reflect God in his emotional makeup. God's loving this man. And it hurts in a unique way. God entered into the possibility of being hurt in the Garden of Eden when he gave a man and a woman a choice to obey him or walk away from him, disobey him. Something to think about. As we close here, remember the scripture says, no man can serve two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other or cling to the one and despise the other. What desire in your life is stronger than the desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you like the first rich fool, just going after a career like God's not even there? Are you like the second rich young ruler? You want God at a certain level. You run up. You go to the studies. You buy the books. But something else is priority. Tonight we'll save the last story of another rich man. And uh, he responds in a right way. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we want to 
and know you and walk with you in the way that you had in mind when you created us. We want to enjoy eternal life now as we wait for Christ to return. Lord, keep us, we pray, in your grace and mercy from being fools. Lord, we don't know oftentimes where to draw the line and where to, how to be balanced. And so we ask for wisdom, Lord, for brothers and sisters who love us and preachers on the radio or something we see on a billboard or however the millions of ways that you work in your providence, Lord, to draw our attention to the fact that we're going too far, Lord. We ask that you would keep us from just running after something that isn't what life is all about. Lord, help us to be people who are balanced, taking your good gifts and using them for your glory and for your agenda, for the gospel, for the church, for others. Lord, we think about the, the, the rich young ruler. We ask that you would, um, Lord, we just need grace. We're not sufficient. We, we don't have the power to overcome the desires of our own flesh. We ask for your grace, Lord, in our lives if there are things that would cause us to turn around and walk away from Jesus. Whether as a, a follower, disciple, or even of the, the, the gospel offer, Lord. We just ask for mercy, for conviction, for courage that comes from God alone to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to say yes to him and to let him provide for the rest. Lord, if there's anybody that's listening to this message that hasn't said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, yes to his offer of salvation, the death of God incarnate on the cross, to pay the price for their sins, a price they couldn't pay, Lord, that they would say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray this in Jesus' name, amen.